if you don't remember anything else about the service this morning, I hope you'll remember this. God loves you. You are deeply loved by God. Sure. And uh, I don't know if you guys joining us online and uh, those of you listening to the service, if you were able to kind of catch the spirit of what was going on here in the auditorium. But we spent some moments just, just singing quietly, just enjoying the presence of the Lord. We had some songs before where it was more exuberant and we were rejoicing. And then, and then this last song, this last one or two songs, just getting quiet in His presence. And I hope you've been touched by that presence of the Lord. Amen. Because, you know, it's one of those things that I don't understand. And you don't have to understand. But here's the truth. He loves you. God loves you. God likes you. God wants you with him for eternity. Why? Because he loves you. <laughs> I guess there's no explanation to that. Amen. And maybe like me, some of you are wondering, God, why should God love me? You know, me, you know. Do you know what I've been going through? What I've done? God knows. And yet, he loves you. And that's all because of what Jesus demonstrated to us. Because God has loved us all the time from the creation of the universe. And humankind has constantly turned their backs on God. And God tries to reveal to us his will and, and tries to get us to come back to him. And we <laughs> repeatedly turn our backs onto him. And then Jesus came. And there are two powerful things which Jesus accomplished on that Passover weekend. And we, you know, we spoke about it over the Easter weekend. And, and, and last week in the series we began talking about these things that are in the Old Testament. And how they connect with things in the New Testament. And how they affect us today. And, and today we're carrying on. But those two powerful things which Jesus did and that he accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. The first one, of course, is that he paid the price for our sins. And that's how we can do what you're doing here this morning. We can just enter into his presence and you can worship him and we can sense his love without judgment, without fear, without shame. Even though maybe some of the things we've, we did, we thought, we conjectured in our minds may have been a little bit off the mark. But because Jesus paid the price for our sins, we can come here today. And you can just worship and call God our Father. Call Jesus our elder brother. And just worship him. So the first thing he did is, is that. He paid the price for us. One sinless man paid the price for all. All the sins of all mankind. You see, there can be no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. And up to moment Jesus came, they were, you know, shedding blood, the blood of lambs and calves and goats and all sorts of things. Sin had to be paid for in blood. But that weekend, one spotless lamb, a man, Jesus, did one sacrifice. And because he is perfect, he was a perfect human being when he was sacrificed, that blood 
covered and pay the price for all of our sins. The second thing that Jesus did was to initiate a new covenant and bring the old covenant to an end. And this is the topic of this morning's message titled, Love, Not Fear. Love, Not Fear. And in fact, we've been singing about it this whole morning about what Jesus has done for us and how much he loves us and how much we love him. And I really pray that, that all of us have, have this sense that we are loved by God, but also that we all have this sense that we love him. So this is the topic of this morning's message in our City's Cross reference. And this title, Love Not Fear, will become clear as we study the Old and the New Covenants. And to understand much of the Bible, you need to have an understanding of covenants. And these days, we don't talk too much about covenants. We talk about contracts. We talk about treaties. We talk about things like... Accords between nations or peoples or businesses. <laughs> and as you know, so often those treaties, accords, and, and agreements and whatever, they get broken. But a covenant by definition is something that you make and you don't break. Because when you break a covenant, there are serious consequences which could include death. And so people took covenants very seriously. It's an old word. It's an old tradition. And to understand much of the Bible, we need to have a basic understanding of covenants. Throughout the Bible, you will find references to covenants. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, there is always reference being made to covenants. And our readings today will, will come from two books, from Jeremiah and from Hebrews. But there's a lot more in the Bible about covenants. We're going to be reading from Jeremiah 31 and from Hebrews chapter 8. Let's begin with a, a, some verses from Hebrews chapter 8. In the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 8, verses 6 and 7 says the following. But in fact, the, the ministry Jesus has received is superior to theirs. If you read in the whole passage, he's talking about the priests, the priests in the temple. They had a ministry. And then he says here in verse 6, the ministry of Jesus is superior to the ministry of the priests in the temple. Now remember, the priests in the temple were the mediators between God and the people. They are the ones who officiated over the sacrifices, you know, and, and made sure that the people's sins were covered by the sacrifices they offered in the temple. They ministered to God and they ministered to the people. Those were the priests in the temple. And so he says, Jesus has received a ministry superior to theirs as the covenant, here we go, of which he, Jesus, is the mediator, is superior to the old one, the old covenant, since the new covenant, hear that? Since the new covenant is established on better promises. For, listen to this, if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. So it is very clear in the word of God, in the Old Testament, there was a covenant. It was a good covenant, but it wasn't sufficient. It wasn't perfect. It didn't 
complete everything that God wanted to do in mankind, in man, in his relationship to man. And so he says, there was need for something else. Well, let's go now to Jeremiah chapter 31, and we read in verses 31 and 32. I invite you to tell them to, to read further, another four or five verses further, to, to see more of what he's talking about as, as Jeremiah points to the future. Now listen to this. Verse 31 of Jeremiah 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. So Jeremiah is living in the days of the old covenant, and everybody is familiar with the old covenant, with the laws and the sacrifices and everything they had to do to be in relationship with God. Now here comes Jeremiah, and he says, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. So now he's referring to the what? The covenant he made with the ancestors, the covenant that he made with Moses when he gave them the laws. And he says, I took them by the hand out of Egypt. It's like a father or a mother leading their children out of trouble, out of a difficult situation. God led them out of Egypt. But listen to what he says. When I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. They broke my covenant. God set them free and, and, and God took them out of Egypt and, and then they broke the covenant. They turned their backs on the one who set them free and, and create that covenant. So what is a covenant? In its simplest explanation, you could say that a covenant is a, a contract between two parties, which includes conditions and consequences for breaking those conditions. Yet a covenant is much more than just a contract, much more than just a document that you sign. A covenant is a pact. It is usually, it includes oaths that you make to one another. The two parties, they make oaths to one another. It includes a meal, includes a sacrifice, includes a sign. All covenants in the Bible, you're going to find they, are, they have these, these parts to them. It's not something which is done in a hurry and just signed and you move on. It is personal. It is person to person. It's not just about things. It has to do with relationships and long-term things. So a covenant is a serious thing. The penalty for breaking a covenant is death. That's how serious a covenant is. In ancient times, covenants were made between individuals, sometimes between families, sometimes between nations. I am the king of a certain nation and I hear that, you know, a couple of miles away there's another kingdom which is starting war and is kind of taking over other kingdoms. And I realize, you know what, my kingdom and my army is not big enough to tackle those guys. But I've got a neighbor over there who has a kingdom about the same size of mine, maybe, maybe a bit bigger, a bit smaller. He's got an army too. He's also being threatened by this guy. So we, we go to each other and we have a conversation. Hey guys, let, let's get into covenant. And, and let's stand together. We'll help one another and we'll fight those enemies. And, 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 and we, we make a pact to do that. 
and we'll have a meal together, we'll share some things, and in a covenant, there's usually blood exchanged. What they would often do is they'd cut their wrists, and then they would clasp their hands together like this, and blood would flow from one wrist to the other. Sometimes they would cut and drop a few drops of blood into a cup of wine, and then both parties would take a sip from that wine. It's called a blood covenant. And in this blood covenant, there are blessings. They say, look, if, we, if you stay bound by this covenant, you'll enjoy these blessings. I'll protect you, and you've got access to, to, to this and to this and to that. And, but if you break this covenant, I'm going to take this away from you. And, da, 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 da. and eventually, if you continue doing that, you're going to be killed. Okay, and, and that's how serious a covenant was. And the other guy would do the same thing and put blessings and curses. And it was a pact for life. And that covenant would last unless a higher covenant or another covenant was negotiated between the parties. So covenant is an ancient tradition which was recognized by the people in the olden days and which they understood and they lived by, by that. And if this king betrayed that king, this king was toast. He could get away for, for a short time, but somebody in that kingdom, it could be generations later, would eventually come and destroy this king. If he was dead, they would come after his children or his grandchildren, but eventually this king's bloodline would be destroyed. That's how serious a blood covenant was. <sighs> covenant relationships are found throughout the Bible. For example, David and Jonathan had a blood covenant. They had a covenant between themselves. And, and if you follow the Old Testament, you see that after Jonathan died, David kept his side of the covenant. Jonathan had a son, Mephibosheth, strange name. But when, when Saul and Jonathan died, the, the nanny took the baby and ran away because thought, hmm, David is going to come off the, the, the line because the tradition in those days, when one king uh, overcome, overthrows another, he kills the whole bloodline. No more must be, be left. And so she ran away. But when David found out that there was a descendant left, he went to call that, that young man and brought him to his kingdom and took care of him. Why? Because David had a covenant with Jonathan. And she was obliged to look after Jonathan's descendants. And so the poor boy, the poor young man, he was, was so scared when, when David found him because he thought, oh, he's going to kill me. David says, no, I'm not going to kill you. I've got a covenant with your dad. Look, there's a mark. Come, you are part of this kingdom. This is yours. There, was, there were covenants between kings as well, like in, in um, King Solomon and King Hiram in 1 Kings 5. They entered into a covenant, and this king from Hiram helped Solomon to build the temple, and Solomon took after, looked after this kingdom's food needs and so on. So uh, it, is, it, it, it is something which God, since it was known between the people, God used this concept of the covenant to structure his relationship with humankind in a way they understood. Now, the covenants provide a framework for how the whole biblical story holds together. As the story of the Bible unfolds from Genesis all the way through, we see that God is a covenant-making God, but he's also a covenant 
keeping God. Every time God makes a covenant, he keeps his side of the covenant. The problem is the human side. Humans keep dropping the ball. God is a covenant-making God, a covenant-keeping God, and a covenant-fulfilling God. And so everything that he mentions in these covenants and, and the promises and so forth, as you follow the line, sometimes hundreds of years later, the covenant gets fulfilled. Because a covenant is for life. It's for descendants. And there are several covenants in the Bible. And today is not a study about covenants. There are many of them. But when we speak of the old covenant today, we are speaking about the covenant mediated by Moses. In Exodus 19 and 24, when we to the mountain and God, and God gave Moses the, the Ten Commandments and a whole bunch of laws, he says, listen, I'm making a covenant with you guys. I'm going to take you to the promised land. There is a land which I'm going to give to you. But this is what you must do. You must do this, 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 and that. And if you do this, I will do this, 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 and that to you. So there are blessings and there are curses. If you break these laws, then these are the curses that are going to come upon you. If you keep these laws, these are the blessings that are going to come upon you. And God initiated this covenant with his people because he wants to look after them. He wants them to be established as a nation which honors God. And through this nation, it's to show the world what he is able to do. And whenever these people obeyed the laws and the rules of the covenant, when they fulfilled their side of the covenant, God fulfilled his side of the covenant, and they were blessed, and they, were, and they prospered, and they overcame their enemies. But when they broke the covenant, curses came upon them. And they lost battle, and people died, and it was, it was a mess. But then... There is the new covenant. And of course, understanding the Mosaic covenant helps you to understand all the ups and downs in the history of the Israelites of the Old Testament. Why they were one big nation, then one day they are prospering, and then next thing they are down again, and then they are divided, and then they are scattered, and then they are being taken away. And if you understand the whole principle of covenants, you, it begins to make sense why Israel's history has been what it has been. But then there is the new covenant. And this term is first used in Jeremiah's promise of rescue and renewal. Now, Jeremiah was writing to the people of God, to the Jews who were in exile in Babylon. And so Jeremiah comes and he prophesies to them. And he speaks of redemption. He speaks of them being restored. He brings hope to these people. He promises a day when God would make a new covenant. Now this is strange because they are living under the Mosaic covenant. And now here comes Jeremiah speaking about a new covenant. It's the first time that this term is used by the prophets in the Old Testament. And it talks about this new covenant, a day when God would make a new covenant unlike the one that Israel had broken. And he says, when this new covenant comes, he's going to bring, listen, forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness of sin. That's why he says it will be unlike 
the covenants before. Forgiveness of sin. Why? Because the Mosaic covenant did not provide forgiveness of sin. It provided covering of sin. And that's why they come, had to come year after year after year. They had to come again and offer another sacrifice. Offer another sacrifice. Offer another sacrifice to cover the sins for this year. And the other, other specific sins, you do those sins, you've got to come with different types of sacrifices. It was always a matter of covering, covering, covering for a year or for a period of time. And you come do it again and you do something, you repent, you come, you bring sacrifice and then you go back and you sin, you come again and you've got to do another sacrifice. Blood was flowing all the time. And it helps you to understand. You look at all those laws and all the blood that flows in the Old Testament helps us to understand how serious Sin is in the eyes of God. Helps us to understand how holy and righteous God is. We don't understand it. We, we think, ah, you know, it's sin. But, <laughs> but to a holy God, sin is terrible. And it has to be punished. And if you are going to redeem it, blood has to flow. If you want forgiveness, blood has to flow. But here comes Jeremiah, and he talks about a covenant which would bring forgiveness. It would bring a renewal of the heart and an intimate knowledge of God. Now, this is Jeremiah speaking about a new covenant that would come one day. Where the laws of God would be written in people's hearts, not in tablets of stone. Now, check this out. On the night that Jesus had that last supper with his disciples. Remember what happened? He took the cup and he took the bread and he, so, and he makes a declaration. He declares that that night as they broke bread together would be the inauguration of a new covenant. He uses the word new covenant. He started something. In the Mosaic Covenant, God gave Moses the laws and terms that would guide this old covenant. If the people adhere to God's laws, blessings would come upon them. If they broke the terms of the covenant, then curses would come upon them. Covenants always required personal commitment and adherence to precepts. In biblical covenants... It is the action of God and not human beings that establishes the government, the, the covenant. God makes it clear that he is the author and initiator. And he does it for the benefit of the people to establish a relationship with him. Now we know historically <laughs> that the Israelites could not keep the covenant. No matter how clearly the laws were written, no matter how clearly the laws were explained, they just could not keep the covenant. And as a result, God's protection was removed from them and they were scattered eventually. The prophet Jeremiah writes to the Jews in exile in Babylon and he reminds them that they broke the covenant and are now suffering the consequences. But he brings a light of hope. He brings out of hope. He speaks of a new covenant that God is going to make. 600 years, about 600 years before Jesus comes, Jeremiah is pointing up to that and declaring a new covenant is coming. 
The people had not been able to live up to what they knew was the word of God. The word of God remained external to them. It's, it's there in those stone tablets. It's written in a book somewhere. The law of God remained external, foreign to them. Foreign to them. And so a weakness in the old covenant was that it had laws, but they were written externally. Jeremiah looked for a time when people not simply obey an external code of laws, but they would be transformed by God's laws in their hearts, in their lives, inside of them. You must remember that the Holy Spirit came in the New Testament to live inside of us. They did not have that kind of anointing in the Old Testament. Only the king, the priest, the prophet had that anointing upon their lives. The people had to always be referring to the law externally. There was no, that inner thing was not there. This is our privilege. And so the Old Testament covenant established promises that look forward to fulfillment. Much like the New Testament is concerned to show how Jesus Christ fulfills these covenant promises. Promises. And what life should look like for people living in the new covenant inaugurated by his death and resurrection. Remember, Jesus is alive. Amen? All right? And so because we understand that, because he came back, he, he, he sealed that covenant, that new covenant which, which he started. And so Hebrews 8 is one of the passages in the New Testament that makes this very really clear. God's covenants are permanent. Listen, God's covenants are permanent unless, unless... Unless it is restored or renewed by God himself. Unless uh, another covenant takes place of the old covenant. Unless a covenant comes along that fulfills a previous covenant. God's covenants are permanent. As both priest and an executor of the new covenant, Jesus, as we read just now, Jesus is the exact image of the earlier covenant in the Old Testament. Jesus lived a life according to all the rules of the Old Testament, but he also fulfilled the prophecies of one that would come and take upon himself the sins of the people and pay the debt that was owed to God. We read already in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, that Jesus is the executor of this new covenant. He initiated that covenant, and he's the one that executes it. Amen? So let's read further in chapter 8 of Hebrews, from verses 7 to 10. Listen to this. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But watch this now, verse 8. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. Now he's quoting Jeremiah now. The writer of Hebrews is now quoting Jeremiah and explaining that Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy that Jeremiah wrote. And why did this new covenant come? Because God found fault with the people. What was the fault? The people couldn't keep the covenant. They kept on breaking it. 
So he says, verse 9, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. You see, people broke the covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord, because that was the result of breaking the covenant. Verse 10, this is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So here in Hebrews, it references what the prophet Jeremiah had said about 600 years before. And so Hebrews explained to us now, this that we've just seen, Jesus and so what Jesus did, he was a fulfillment of that prophecy of Jeremiah. The new covenant was not simply the old covenant all patched up, you know, and renewed. No, the differences with those mentioned in this chapter of Hebrews, especially the way the covenant brings forgiveness. That's a big thing because the old covenant could not bring forgiveness. But forgiveness is a great part of this one, forgiveness of the sins. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 12 and 13 says, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. You see, in other words, it's, it's a one-time thing. He forgives them and he doesn't remember their sins anymore. Now, by calling the covenant new, he has made the first one old or obsolete and what is absolute obsolete and outdated will soon disappear well first the kindness and the love of god are brought out by the reference to taking the people by the hand and and leading them out but the israelites lacked perseverance and they did not continue following the lord how do we rejoice in the salvation found in the new covenant and still value God's revelation in the old? Bible teacher Ray Stedman offers this, this, this thought. He says, the author's point in verse 13 is simply that when the new covenant takes effect, there no longer is any reason to rely upon the old one. Now, I want you to listen carefully to this because this whole matter of the new covenant and old covenant is told today. There are Christians, followers of Jesus, still struggling with this, okay? Why? Because sometimes we still tend to lean back to the law. We want to follow Christ but we still want to follow some laws of the old covenant and be bound by it. Now, look, look at this. This does not mean that the law of Moses, for example, the Ten Commandments, is done away with. For Jesus himself teaches that it will last as long as the heavens and the earth. What these words in verse 13 mean is that the law's work is finished when men and women come to Christ. It could not make them perfect. But they have now come to one, to a person who can make them perfect in the eyes of God. Huh? Since the Aaronic priesthood under which the law was given has now been replaced by the priesthood of Jesus, there is no longer it. 
excuse me, no longer any need for the law to work its condemning work in a believer's life. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, says Romans 8.1. Awareness of sin is now the work of the indwelling spirit. You see, that's why it's inside of us now, not in a book outside. It's inside us. It's the work of the indwelling spirit. Not to condemn, but to restore us when we repent to useful and fruitful service. Okay? So the old covenant and the laws that existed and still exist, they are there for those who are not connected with Christ. You go to people in the street and you ask them about the Ten Commandments. They know the Ten Commandments. And they know that they are breaking them. Ask them if they have ever lied. If they have ever had lustful thoughts. If they have ever stolen something. And many of them will agree with a few of those things. Yes, I've done that. And they know that it is wrong. They just don't think that it's too serious. They don't believe that God is really going to punish them because they've got no faith in God, you see. And so they, they, they find it easy to excuse themselves by breaking the law. But when you come to Jesus, when you connect with Jesus, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes inside of you. And then it, it's the Spirit inside you guiding you. Not condemning you, but reminding you of what is right and what is wrong. What God wants, what God doesn't want. And he leads you. These laws now are inside you. And you do not have to adhere to all the laws of the Old Testament. Okay? You don't have to make sacrifices. You don't have to keep certain days. You don't have to go to certain places and so on like the law demanded. You are free in Christ Jesus. One important factor that separates these two covenants is that the old covenant was based on fear. And if people obeyed the, uh, the covenant, one of their, motiva- or their highest motivation was fear of being punished. Because if I don't do this, that's going to happen. Ah! So fear motivated the people. When, when those times when, when Israel would repent and come before the Lord, you watch. It's when they were in trouble. They had enemies coming against them. Or there was a pestilence or, or, pestilence or something. And so they'd come and, and the priest would read the law and they would sob and repent. And I'm sorry, God. And, and they were fearful of the consequences. And so they would repent. And they were motivated by fear. But now, the new covenant is based on love. You obey the laws of the old covenant for fear of punishment, fear of lack of blessing, fear of the curse. But the new covenant is based on love. And since man could not keep the law, Jesus came and he paid the price. He kept the law and he paid the price for man's sin. Why? Because he loves us. And because there is no other way. We prove this to ourselves. Humankind proved it to itself. The Israelites proved it. That's so much to go for. And they failed. So humankind, we cannot do it. And so Jesus came and he paid the price for us. The Bible tells us that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He took upon himself the curse of the law. He paid the price that you and I can be free before God today. Another key factor separating the two covenants is assurance of forgiveness. The covenant of Moses couldn't offer forgiveness, couldn't offer assurance of forgiveness. You had to keep on coming back and coming back and coming back. (laughs) But with the new covenant, 
Once you surrender to Christ, you've got assurance of forgiveness. I am not perfect, but I am forgiven. I have come to one who is perfect, who paid the price for me, and he gave me his righteousness. So when God looks at me, he sees Jesus in me. I am forgiven. I'm still under construction. God is still working in me. He's still working in you. But while he's doing this work in us, we are seen as perfect before God, justified before God. Imagine that you have a, a debt that you cannot pay. And suddenly the debt is paid by someone else and your debt is forgiven. You do not have a debt anymore. You're forgiven. Wow. Now that's what Jesus did. We had a debt before God and Jesus came and he paid the price. It's paid in full. You don't owe God anything else. The new covenant gives us assurance of forgiveness. By believing in the gospel and putting your faith in Jesus, you are forgiven. And that was the message that the apostle Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. He said, repent and be baptized and every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Not just for the covering, for the forgiveness of your sins. The apostle John wrote, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Wow. It, it is no half ways. It's complete. Now, Mayo Clinic, years later, you see the whole matter of forgiveness is an idea which was not existent in the, existent in the olden times. People didn't forgive. They sorted each other out. <laughs> okay. You do me one, I do you two. Okay. But then comes along Christianity and they bring this concept of forgiveness. Today, science is catching up. Mayo Clinic has published a paper on the positive effects we will experience from forgiving those who have wronged us, such as better health, less anxiety, and a stronger self-esteem. They say the following, for example, and it's an article that you can read this in the mayoclinic.org. It was published in November 22 of 2022. It's called forgiveness, letting go of grudges and bitterness. And he says, you know, letting go of grudges and bitterness can make, make way for improved health and peace of mind. Forgiveness can lead to healthier relationships, improved mental health, less anxiety, stress and hostility, fewer symptoms of depression, lower blood pressure, a stronger immune system, improved heart health, improved self-esteem. All right? And uh, they say forgiveness is a commitment to change. It takes practice to move towards forgiveness. You might recognize the value of forgiveness and how it can improve your life. You can identify what needs healing and who you want to forgive. Join a support group or see a counselor. Acknowledge your emotions about the harm done to you. Recognize how those emotions affect your behavior and work to release them. Choose to forgive the person who offended you. Release the control and power that the offending person and situation have had in your life. They say that if you struggle with finding forgiveness, you might bring anger and bitterness into your new relationships and experiences. You become so wrapped up in the wrong that you can't enjoy the present. You become depressed, irritable, or anxious. You feel at odds with your spiritual beliefs. You lose valuable and enriching connection with others. Now, why am I bringing this article to this, to this message? Because you see, God has forgiven us. Now, let's turn this whole thing around. What if we can understand the benefits of being forgiven by God? 
If there are benefits for me to forgive others, there are healthy, scientific, proven benefits for forgiving others. When you forgive others, doesn't mean you let them go. Doesn't mean they are exempted from the responsibility. No, no, no. Those who wronged you will have to face the responsibility one or another. Even ultimately, if they have to face God about that. But I'm talking about just letting go, not being bound by that bitterness. But what about understanding that you have been forgiven by God? Because being forgiven by God releases us and frees us so we can get down to living a life of service and even improve our health. Because you are forgiven, you can forgive. If you understand how much God has forgiven us, how much he loves us, it becomes easier to forgive others and to let go. If God could let go of me and of you, if God could let go of all our nonsense, if God could let go of humankind's stupidity and anger towards him and forgive us, why can't we let go and forgive others? Now think about it. You have been forgiven by the creator of the universe. The new covenant under which we now live is about love, not fear. Hmm. You have been forgiven. So now, can you forgive others? Because Jesus has forgiven our sins through the shedding of his blood and has established a new covenant, so today, this week, we can focus on obeying God. Obeying God, why? Because we're afraid of him? No, because he loves us and we love him. We can focus on loving our neighbor, why? Because we want to impress God? No, because God loves us and because we love God. We can fo focus on forgiving others. Why? Because we love God and we are loved by God. We're not trying to impress God. We're not trying to do anything. We cannot impress God because he loves you already. He has forgiven your sins. You are loved by him. And I pray that you can sense his love and Love him back. Not because you are afraid, but because we love him. Amen? Let's stand up. Let's bow our heads and let's pray as we close the service. Father God, it can be so difficult at times for us to process all this. Thank you that this morning we could become, be an atmosphere where we could literally sense your presence, sense your love for us, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that even though we may not understand everything, that we can walk out of this place today understanding the fact that Jesus came to start a new covenant, a covenant of love, a covenant of forgiveness, where we can look up at you, Father God, and not feel guilty, but know that you have forgiven us, know that you love us. Lord, help each one of us to leave this place today and, and be able to declare, to testify that we are loved by God, that God loves us. Even in the middle of maybe difficult situations we might be facing, Lord God, help us to know that you love us, that we are loved. And help us to love you, Lord. And so we thank you for this time together, Lord. And we pray that this week we can go out into the world, love you, love others, receive your forgiveness and forgive others, receive your blessings 
and be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Church, go out this week. Live out your new covenant with joy and enjoy the love of God in your life. Amen. Have a wonderful Sunday and see you next week as we continue our study on this, these topics of connecting the Old Testament and the New Testament. God bless you. Amen.